Use your spidey senses, that feeling in your gut. If you're in a situation that the feeling in your gut's going, this isn't quite working for me, or this doesn't feel right, use those spidey senses. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M., I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride, take what you want, and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Well, hello, all of you beautiful souls. That was the voice of Miss Dawn Elise from Counselor Toolbox that you heard at the beginning of this episode. I'm going to talk about her and maybe a couple of other things in just a moment. But first things first, this episode is brought to you by Caitlin, Whitney, and Beverly. Caitlin, Whitney, And Beverly all went to our website, SoberSpeak.com, clicked on the Donate tab and made a contribution. Thank you so, so much, Caitlin, Whitney, and Beverly. This episode is for you. And as a reminder, we're going to let the other folks listen in. But this episode is coming straight out to you. So... All right, folks, did you hear last week's episode, Ryan L.? It was episode number 70. It was called NFL, like National Football League, Opioids, and Turning a New Leaf. If you didn't hear that one, um, go back and listen to it. Uh, Even my sponsor, my sponsor called me today, and he can be picky, I'm telling you. And he said it was one of the best episodes he'd ever heard, and he absolutely loved it. And uh, so anyway, I want you all to go back and listen to that if you haven't. Uh, It was an absolutely uh, fantastic episode. So I don't know exactly what I'm going to say here as we start out today. And by that, I mean, I always pray right before I get on the microphone here and start to share with you guys. And I try to get in the right place. And uh, I'm keenly aware that there are folks listening all throughout this planet Earth. And, um, and I feel some sort of sense of responsibility with that. Uh, I probably should just kind of turn it over to God and let it go. But there is some sort of sense of responsibility. And uh, um, I, I, I want you to be able to glean insight and direction from these various speakers that come here on to Sober Speak. And I want you to somehow feel some sort of sense of uh, gratitude or hope, or I want you to pull something out of it that can help you throughout your day, throughout your week, and mainly that can help you in your walk through recovery. So today we have Donna Elise, and she is a professional in the counseling field, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy her, uh, both her personal story and the counsel that she offers. Um, She shares her experience with something that I had heard of, but I'm not real familiar with, is something called Emotions Anonymous. Uh, She shares about her personal battle with an eating disorder. And toward the end of the episode, Donnelise is going to share some, uh, um, I guess, some direction on how to find a counselor for those who need it. And we talk about those may need it, and there's some people who don't need it. But if you do need it, and you need to look outside the rooms of AA or whatever recovery program that you're in, she discusses how to find uh, the right counselor. And she's also going to talk about the family's role role, uh, in uh, 
in addiction and what role that the family plays in both the addiction part and then the recovery part. So I rarely have quote professionals unquote on the show, but but I've had se- I had several requests over the last year to interview people outside of the program. So I wanted to experiment this year. So I'm bringing Donnellyse in. Send me an email. Let me know what you think. John at SilverSpeak.com. So keep in mind, I would so, so, so appreciate you sharing this podcast with two or three either friends or family members. Uh, It's a great, great way to support the show. Um, As a reminder, we do, when I say we, SilverSpeak has a secret Facebook group. And you can also follow us on Instagram. If you want to get into the secret Facebook group, just send me your email associated with your Facebook account uh, so I can invite you to the uh, secret Facebook group. Uh, The secret part, obviously, is to protect anonymity. And if you need to email me, I'm at john at soberspeak.com. It's a bunch of amazing, like-minded friends of Bill W., Al-Anon, other 12-step programs. We're all in there to help and support each other. And you can follow me on Instagram. I'm at at soberspeak. I read all of my direct messages, and I would absolutely love to hear from you. So, This is what's on my mind today, and uh, I thought about whether to share this or not, uh, but hey, it's my podcast, so I'm going to go ahead and share it. So I've heard it said many times in Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, don't judge my insides by someone else's outsides. And because of this podcast, I have been very involved in social media lately, and by that I mean Facebook and Instagram for the first time in my life. I had always kind of avoided it before for whatever reason, and there are benefits to it, and there's also downsides to it. But I have to remind myself not to be fooled by all the, the, uh, what would you call it, perfect pictures, Um, because we all have struggles no matter how perfect someone may look on the outside. And and that's not just in Facebook or in Instagram. It could be in the mall or someone on TV or just somebody you pass by on the street. I have to remember that just because they look perfect, they are not perfect. And I personally have struggled with and I continue to struggle with um, anxiousness, fear, um, selfishness, resentment, every day. But that's a big, big reason I continue to go to Alcoholics Anonymous in an effort to try to keep the wolves at bay. And uh, I hear from you all, you beautiful souls out there. And I know, I know that like me, you struggle with isolation, you struggle with loneliness, um, health issues, Uh, broken relationships, uh, and a whole host of other issues. But here, here, folks, is the good news. I am not alone, and you are not alone. I have all of you. I do. Or as we say in here in uh, Texas, we say, I have all (laughs) y'all. I got that from my friend Carolyn recently in a meeting, but uh, I love that. I have all y'all. And we are trudging this road of happy destiny together. The challenges we face, they're not insurmountable. That's why we gather in meetings all across the land to support one another. And once again, I really appreciate, I appreciate so, so much that that you take time out of your day to listen in on this particular podcast, because I know there are so, so many other things to do. And I love that you listen in. But I also want you to be able to attend meetings. And I want this to be your meeting between meetings. And uh, I, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm so thankful for you. You all give me life. You give me purpose. You give me the reason that I need to carry on through all your messages, through all your uh, uh, emails, through all the the voicemails that I get. Uh, I, I'm just so, so thankful for you. Um, I, anyway, all right, so now on to 
Now on to listener feedback, and I'm going to have listener feedback both at the beginning of this episode and at the end of this episode. I guess we could call that a listener feedback sandwich. Does that sound right? I don't know. I have to keep my inter- myself entertained. So we're going to have a listener feedback sandwich. And uh, at the beginning of listener feedback is uh, right here. So oh, I'm going to have to come up with a, a little tune. I keep saying that. I need a little bit of a, okay, here's some listener feedback right now. The Sober Speak listener feedback. How's that? Is that a good tune? Mm, probably not. But You know, once again, I'm keeping myself entertained. All right. So listener feedback starts out like this. First of all, writes in on the secret Facebook group from Spain, FD writes in. He says, Dear John M. and everyone, this was a post he put out there. He said, I am listening to the latest podcast episode right now. I am very much grateful for the podcast as it means the world to me. As I type from my phone, walking my pup in Spain, where I live, I am also with you all. I'm not at my best, but nevertheless connected to the program and walking the recovery highway. The most dangerous place on earth is my own head. So listening to the podcast keeps me in the light and alerted. Three years without using after 20 using still makes the balance tilted. The past seven years have been a roller coaster and only now are things slowing down. I cannot do this by myself and that is why Sober Speak is right now a pillar for me in which I position the AA candle to guide me. Today, I will live my life in accordance with our program and traditions. Thank you, JM, from FD of Spain. FD, my goodness, I I, I read that in our secret Facebook group, and it just hit me in right in the heart. I, I, I pictured you walking your little puppy in Spain, listening to the podcast, and then thinking about all the people that are involved, not only in that secret Facebook group, but all the listeners in the world, and you somehow being connected to all of us while you're walking down the path in Spain. And it just made my heart light up. I, I, I just mean that from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much for writing in, uh, FD. I sure do appreciate it. God bless you. Richie writes in on Instagram and he says, John, thanks for the podcast. 3-9-2015. That must be his sobriety day. I have laughed and cried on many occasions. It is definitely my meeting between meetings and listening has got me back to being more consistent about going to meetings on a regular and weekly basis. That is fantastic, Richie. I love to hear that. So give all the peeps my best when you go to the meeting. Uh, Gary writes in on Instagram. He says, hey, John, thank you so much for your podcast. I had a seven-hour drive home to North Texas from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, the second part of a two-day journey. I was complaining to my girlfriend that that morning about not having been able to make a meeting for the past 11 days, and it was starting to get to me. She recommended that I give your podcast a try, and it was exactly what I needed. I listened the whole way home, made the seven hours feel like one hour. Thanks for what you're doing and look forward to more. Gary K., the other one. In other words, he's saying <laughs> we recorded an episode by Gary K., but this is another Gary K. that was writing in. And I remember writing back to Gary and saying, Your girlfriend sounds like a really smart lady, suggesting sober speak. He said, Well, she can't be that smart. She's dating me. <laughs> So, thanks for writing in, Gary. I'm I'm glad you made it home to North Texas. Otto writes in from Finland. 
all the way from Finland. He says, hi, John. Just wanted to say hello. I got the hint about Sober Speak from Gary K. in Texas. That's the Gary K. that the other Gary K. was just referring to. But nonetheless, I got to know Gary K. In Adl- at the Atlanta International Convention to 2015. I am a Finnish alcoholic, having been sober now for 28 and a half years with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous Way of Life and my sober fellows. My sober journey has been great, a roller coaster with ups and downs, but all without any substances. The last 10 years have been getting better than the previous 10. The first 10 were full of joy. I can tell you that it, what it says on page 85, it is easy to let, let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. Amen, Gary. Excuse me. Amen, Otto. I understand what you're saying there. After having things, quote, running with the help of the program, I did just that. And after some years, my inner life was a mess. From the outside, everything must have seemed to be okay. But truly, my life was unmanageable again. I had to start little by little to practice the program to get me back to where I am now. Everything might still be more or less a mess, but my head is mostly in order. Not In my order, though, which is the most important thing for me to remember today, only by the grace of God and for the spirit of the universe. It is winter here in Finland, some snow still on the ground and temperatures a little below zero Celsius. Today, the sun is shining and the the sky is clear. We'll be coming to the U.S. in the summer of 2020 in Detroit, and it would be great to meet you there as well. With loving regards, Otto. So, Otto, I'm assuming, in fact, I know Otto must be referring to the International Convention in Detroit in 2020. And if I go there, I'll definitely announce it on this podcast, and uh, uh, I would be I would be more than happy to meet you there at that uh, international convention. And thank you once again for writing in, Otto. I sure do appreciate it. One more here, and then we're going to get on. Biff writes in, he says, John M., I live near LBC in California. I'm assuming that is Long Beach. I don't know what the C, maybe that's a county, LBC in California. Anyway, sober speak and speaker meetings, recordings are a very important ingredient toward my sobriety. May our higher powers bless you with one more sober day. Thank you, Biff M. Right back at you, Biff M. I hope that our higher power blesses you with one more sober day and all of the listeners. All right, folks. Now, on to Ms. Don Elise. And remember, we'll be back at the end of this thing and finish out with some other listener feedback. And I'll do my listener feedback too. Nah, I probably won't. Well, if I remember, I may. Eh, who cares? Adios. Okay. Hello, friends. We are sitting here today with Miss Dawn Elise. And uh, this is one of those episodes where I say we're going to be coloring outside the lines a little bit. I had another counselor on recently. Uh, The episode went very well, and I wanted to have another one back on uh, because of the uh, uh, feedback we got on that particular episode. And as those of you who have been involved in any 12-step work uh, for a long time know, at least within the Alcoholics Anonymous arena, is that uh, our program um, was helped along, if you will. Uh, We had a lot of non-alcoholics in our history who have been very important to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's why I wanted to have Don Elise on today. So you want to say hello to the Sober Speak audience there, Ms. Don Elise? Hey, everybody. We're going to do a couple things with this. So Don, first of all, Don Elise, why don't you go ahead and tell them about the podcast that you actually have and what you do within that podcast and uh, what its basic function is. And uh, we'll put a link in the show notes on how to find it. But I, but I want you to kind of explain what Counselor Toolbox is all about. 
All righty. Well, thank you. Uh, Counselor Toolbox, I started it in 2006, and I saw that there was a great need out there f- to help clinicians, counselors, addictions counselors, mental health, social work, you know, clinicians, um, really understand co-occurring disorders. And the research says that co-occurring disorders are the expectation, not the exception. So, but I was noticing that a lot of mental health clinicians that I was working with were oblivious to how to work with addictions. So one of the things I really focus on in Counselor Toolbox is providing um, tools that both addictions and mental health counselors can use with their clients. And it provides their annual continuing education training is is basically what it is. But if you go to the, the podcast or if you go to our YouTube channel, most of the videos are very easy to understand. I have a lot of um, clients who have also watched the Counselor Toolbox videos, and they're they're easy to understand. They provide you tools. It's not anything that's super clinical. Some of them, and you'll just tell by the title, are going to be dreadfully boring, like ethics and prevention of medical errors. Obviously, that's not something y'all are going to be concerned about, but dealing with depression and relapse prevention and motivational enhancement and all that kind of stuff. Um, I have over 350 videos that are out there that can potentially help you find some tools and resources to use to implement in your program. Yeah, and I can attest to that. I've listened to many of them. Uh, I listened to part of a series on spirituality and happiness that you had. And I also found another one that was kind of interesting. Uh, there was it talked about gut health and about how you can, you know, how all the research is coming out and what they're finding out about gut health. But you know, I we're not going to dive into that in in detail here with this. But I just want to let the listeners know that there's a lot of uh, uh, helpful subjects out there. I, on, toward the end of this, we're going to get into a little bit about, uh, um, you know, maybe guiding somebody, if you will, to a counselor and the proper way to get to to get in touch with one. And, you know, I know that uh, within the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, we always tell people we're not doctors, we're not clinicians, you know, this is not our job. Uh, but I do want, but, but we also say that if you need help outside of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, we encourage people to go out there and find that help. And that's what we're going to talk about toward the end of this segment. But I really want to talk a little bit about you and some of your uh, your background. Did you have something to say there before we started? It looked like you wanted to. I did. I just wanted to interject. Um, In 12-step programs, there are 12-step programs out there for people with co-occurring disorders. Uh, One is called Double Trouble, and the other one is... uh, Dual Recovery Anonymous. Those are those are out there, and also because I am a clinician, uh, doesn't mean I think everybody needs to see a clinician. I know plenty of people who have embraced recovery without seeking someone that had professional help, if you will. Yeah. So you know, I just want to make sure that your listen listeners know that it, the end when we talk about looking for a counselor or a psychologist, that's if you need one. And and not everybody necessarily will. That's correct. That's correct. Uh, thank you for clarifying that. Uh, by the way, I love the, I love the uh, title of that one group, uh, Double double Trouble. I know, me too. <laughs> All right. So let's talk a little bit about you and your background. And I, I know that you've had your own struggles from having uh, other conversations with you. So why don't you give us a little bit of a, a background of you, where you grew up, you know, what your uh, challenges were like growing up, uh, uh, how you've overcome those and, and where you are today. Okay. Um, well, I came from a family that has a lot of addiction, a lot of addiction and a lot of mental health issues. Um, I think I was thinking about it this morning when I was laying in bed. I have one grandmother, one aunt, and one uncle who haven't struggled with addiction problems, but everybody else has. So that was one of the things that actually drew me toward addiction counseling when I d- once I became 
once I realized that I wasn't going to medical school and I was going to become a counselor. So, um, and, and so let me dive into that a little bit because I, you know, there was a time when I first got sober that I went back to school. I, I thought I was going to be a counselor and, you know, go out and help the world and everything. And, uh, you know, and I didn't go down that route, but I think that that is a common phenomenon, if you will. So do you think part of that going into that particular field was trying to figure things out for yourself and your family? Oh, I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was back in the day when when I went into um, when I went to college. They still didn't really understand a lot about what I was struggling with, which was eating disorders. And they knew a little bit more, obviously, about alcohol and drug addiction, but they hadn't even made the connection that the two of them were even remotely related. That came decades after after I started college. So it was up to me to try to figure out what I needed to do. I had been to counseling and it hadn't worked. I had been to, you know, doctors and that hadn't worked. And I was still struggling day in and day out. And I was trying to find something that would help me find some freedom from not only the physical cravings, if you will, for food and and that sort of thing, but also from all of the emotional baggage and stuff that came along with it and that um, triggered it as well as came from some of the uh, the resentment and the and the regret from the things that I had been doing for so many years. And uh, you know, quite honestly, it wasn't until I was pregnant with my first child, and that was my bottom, if you will. I just had this epiphany one day once I realized I was pregnant. I'm like, I cannot be purging with this little life inside of me. You know, that could cause a miscarriage. It could cause all kinds of problems. And that was kind of where I had that epiphany and made up my mind that, okay, this is not where I need to be. And it was about that time I also discovered um, another 12-step program that we talked about a little bit uh, the other day, um, Emotions Anonymous. And I was able to get a lot of strength and support from the text of Emotions Anonymous. And we briefly had some EA meetings in the city that I was in. They they since have gone away. But uh, I found those to be extremely helpful and help me understand emotional dysregulation and you know how my emotions were actually controlling me at that point in time so so and and I've known some people that have gone to emotions anonymous but I've never really had a conversation with them about it so tell me a little bit about I mean I, I think I probably get the general idea you know uh, uh, that you're powerless over your emotions but it's there. I'm sh- there's also some differences with Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, so because we all have emotions, right? You can't right. avoid emotions. True. Uh, my uh, for me, I need to abstain from alcohol. You can't abstain from emotions. So talk to me a little bit about that and the program and how it uh, how it helped you. The first thing was just to recognize and Marsha Linehan d- developed a whole treatment process called dialectical behavior therapy. And she was one of the first ones to talk about emotional dysregulation, which is a really long, complicated word for saying, I go from zero to 250 in 2.3 seconds flat. Um, you know, it, there, there is no me- middle ground. And the reasons for that, you know, we don't need to get into, but there are a lot of people out there who they don't have a middle ground. When they get upset, they go from calm to just irate. Would that be like road rage? Road rage is one example, Um, but it can also work with anxiety or depression and the emotions. There's just no gray area. You're at the extremes most of the time and learning about the things that just like we, we learn about things that trigger our desire to use, our desire to eat, our desire to drink, whatever. We learned about things that trigger our negative emotional reactions or our unhelpful emotional reactions. We learn distress tolerance skills because like you said, life happens and there is going to be pain and there is going to be discomfort. So we have to learn how to deal with those things. And when those things happen, when we have that 
unpleasant emotion, when we have that unpleasant feeling, you know, it may make us want to eat. It may make us want to lash out. It may make us want to put our fist through a wall, whatever it is. And it's important to, at that point, recognize and say, okay, you know, I have been triggered to to go to the next step. Recognizing that emotions and unhelpful emotions often lead us to unhelpful behaviors. Um, and, and we need to d- develop a different method of, of dealing with those, just like the alcoholic discovers different methods. You know, when they're stressed, they may feel like they want to drink. Well, you know, you can't have a drink. Um, so when we're stressed, we need to figure out what we need to do instead. So are you saying that Emotion Anonymous uh, kind of you uh, helped you with your eating disorder at the same time? Was that what you used to deal with the eating disorder or was there some sort of other counsel or was there just some sort of recognition and realization that you had in your life? It, it really was, for the most part, Emotions Anonymous uh, because that was fueling and when I would, for example, start to feel depressed. Well, depressed is the, the easy emotion. Then you have to look at all the other stuff. What's causing the depression? And it was low self-esteem. It was guilt. It was frustration. It was all this other stuff. And learning how to identify all the feelings and work through them in a healthy way was important because most of the time when I was actively in my eating disorder, I didn't feel much. You know, as, as soon as I would start feeling something, I, I would run and I would eat or, or whatever. And then I would purge because I felt guilty. And then I'd feel angry that I purged. And, you know, it was a whole vicious cycle. As you know, I have interest in this. I have it in my family background, right? So, but I never really asked the questions. You know, my mom had an eating disorder. So, is that kind of what would happen? In other words, the feelings would come up. Uh, they would get a little bit out of hand, so to speak. You would run to the food to take away those feelings, mm-hmm. and that would work temporarily. And then you would purge, and then uh, you then you would go into another vicious cycle, uh, being uh, having shame about that. Uh, is that pretty? Which much would lead how? to another binge and another purge, and yeah, it could it could destroy an entire night. Um, it was it was pretty overwhelming a lot of times. But yeah, the, the feelings lead to the desire to make find something to numb the feelings or distract you from the feelings. And then once, for me, um, being anorexic, the shame I had about eating and the fear I had of getting fat came on as soon as I finished eating because then I was there to focus on the fact of how full I was. And I was just like, oh my gosh. That, that this is not okay. And then I would purge and then I would feel extraordinarily ashamed and guilty and frustrated and angry, which I would run from again. Okay. So, and I want to talk also a little bit about your family history. You said there was a lots of uh, addiction and stuff within your family. Uh, I'm assuming this came up as you started to get older and you had to deal with it and such. Uh, uh, what were the what were the feelings there, and uh, uh, how did you work through those? Was that emotion as anonymous as well? That was more personal reflection, and as I became to understand more about addiction, just understanding and getting a different perspective on why, you know, Uncle So and So or cousin So and So was doing this, and it gave me a lot more compassion because. I understood it, addiction as being a way to survive. Not a great way, but it was the only thing they had left to help them survive a moment or life itself at that point in time. Um, and that helped me understand. One of, one of my uncles had alcohol, well, polysubstance abuse, uh, but he started out with alcohol after his first wife died. And just the pain and the grief and the trauma from, you know, stuff from his childhood. He had, you know, some stuff. But once she died, it was unbearable for him. And that's when he started drinking heavily. And once you start using, 
whatever it is, whatever addiction we're talking about, it starts messing up the brain chemicals and it causes cravings. I mean, there is physiological stuff that happens that, that triggers cravings. Um, so for him and, you know, I could understand what was going on and I could understand why he couldn't stop and why he kept doing it and why he kept choosing. Every time he sobered up, he had to realize that Aunt Chris was not there anymore. Um, and, and that was more than he could handle. Right. Okay, I'm going to do a quick announcement, then we'll continue. We'll be continuing our conversation with Don Elise in just a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the web at www.soberspeak.com. And there you will find all of our other uh, episodes, which you can listen to for free. You can also find the donate button on our website, and you can use that if and only if the spirit moves you. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with a sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. Okay, so back to Donna Lee's. Um, you, you had mentioned uh, at one point when we were talking about, uh, uh, I guess you went to school in, uh, is it Gainesville? Is that right? I did. Yes. And uh, University of Florida, I'm assuming, is it? Go Gators. Go Gators. <laughs> and so, uh, and also you mentioned that you got drawn into a particular field because there were some events happening around that area at the time. So could you dive right. into that a little bit? Well, unfortunately, when I was a, a sophomore in college, um, Danny Rawling was in Gainesville and murdered 10 uh, University of Florida students. And it was about that time or shortly after that time that I started volunteering for the uh, Alachua County Crisis Center. And this was also during the time that I was finding out that God did not intend for me to go to medical school because I was failing calculus miserably. Oh, no. And oh, yeah, it, it was ugly. Not only once, but twice. You know, I had it once, I dropped it, I tried it again, and it, it just wasn't happening. Uh, so I was okay, well, what else do I do? Uh, but during that time, I was moved to start volunteering, and I found that I was pretty good at counseling and crisis intervention and stuff, which ultimately I changed my major to psychology in undergrad, and then I went to graduate school. and. Here I am. How about that? And so after you got out of school then, is that when you started doing what you're doing today? How, how did you make that leap to a podcaster? Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's been many, many years since I was in school. When I started uh, after my master's program in 1997 <clears throat> uh, <laughs> and uh, in community mental health at a clinic that I ended up working at um, pretty much steadily for 14 years. You know, I had two little breaks for two little children, but uh, I kept going back and I worked from, I started out as a line clinician working as uh, doing assessments in the felony drug court program and worked up to, to middle management, which is, is eventually where, where I kind of left. But during that 14 years, I was working primarily in what was at that point known as an addictions program. That's before we really understood that it needed to be co-occurring. And in the last four years that I was there, they actually rebranded, if you will, the treatment program to be a, a co-occurring facility um, and, and brought on a lot of services that enhanced the treatment for the mental health component for those people and the and the physical health component for those people who were in our program. Okay, so let's let's turn a corner a little bit here, and uh, you work with a lot of people, uh, a lot of folks like me who are in the program. Um, so let's talk a little bit about how do people go about finding the right help if they indeed need help. Like you like you mentioned earlier, not everybody needs help. And I have always said a good counselor is worth their weight in gold. 
Um, but the challenge is, is it's finding a good counselor and somebody who's maybe on the other side of their own issues, right? And have done a lot of good work. So how do they go about finding a, the type of treatment that they would possibly need uh, to work through some things that are outside the scope of AA, if you will? Well, first is to understand a little bit about counselors, which, oh boy, there's volumes there. Uh, but the approach that counselors use can vary between counselors. A lot of people in addictions focus on, or with addictions, like to go to counselors who focus more on a solution-focused cognitive behavioral approach, which means you go in there, you sit down, and you go, here's my problem, here's where I want to be, how do I get there? It's very practical, if you will. Uh, but not everybody likes the very practical. Some people want to have more of a chat, which is person-centered. Um, whatever the feeling is, it's important when you go interview a counselor. And yes, you can interview counselors. Um, a lot of counselors will give a free 15-minute get-to-know-you session and talk about what it is. Go to their website. Learn more about the counselor ahead of time to see if it's even a good fit before you go in. And then talk with them and say, okay, this is, this is my problem or this is what I think my problem is. Um, how would you approach it and what would treatment be like with you and how long should I expect to stay in treatment? It grinds my gears when I hear about people that are in treatment with the same therapist for three, four, five, ten years uh, for things like anxiety or depression or if you've got schizophrenia, that's something different. That is not going away. But most people if they're getting good treatment, can deal with a lot of their issues in six months or so. Um, I usually only keep clients on my caseload for, for 12 weeks, and then I start weaning them down to every two weeks or once a month. Let them have a break. And then if they decide they want to work on something else or start up again, great. But So definitely asking a clinician, how long should I expect to be here? What should I expect from you? What is the session like with you? And what do you know or what is your philosophy on addiction? Some clinicians are fully behind 12-step programs and some clinicians aren't. Some clinicians are more aware of all of the things that go into an addiction and addiction recovery, the biopsychosocial aspects of it. Others aren't. If your work, you don't have to go to somebody who is a licensed addiction professional. Obviously, they have more training in addictions than other people. But licensed mental health counselors, family therapists, social workers, they also may have gotten training in addictions, you know. And so it's, you want to know what is your philosophy on addiction and what is your philosophy on recovery. And make sure that they mesh so you're not trying to work towards opposing goals. I was going to say, I think you're about to go into that. So as you know, many times the family situation is not ideal. Now, there are people who have very supportive families and they're encouraging them to get help and they'll go to all the family weeks and they'll do everything that they need to do in order to support that person. But many times it's not a... Uh, healthy situation. So I know that there's no easy answer for this, but have you seen anything that works and what is your counsel in that arena? And as, as we talked about um, the other day, it's very, very individualized. Part of it depends on what the dysfunction is. If it's um, violence, obviously they need to make a safety plan and try to get out. If it is a partner who lives with them, who is still smoking pot while they're trying to recover, you know, they're going to have to figure out how to deal with that. And I've worked with many, many, many families where, and even my own, where the people who are not identifying as being addicted say it, it's, 
it's the addict's problem. It's not my problem. So I should be able to drink in my own house. I should be able to smoke weed in my own house. I should be able to, you know, and, and there's a great sense of entitlement that comes along with that. So helping the person in recovery figure out how to negotiate that so they're not triggered is one big thing. Um, helping them figure out, you know, you have families too that the family just doesn't want treatment. And they're not ready to let go of that anger. So the person is in this toxic environment day in and day out where they're being micromanaged and people are helicoptering over them, just waiting for them to make a mistake. And it wears on people after a while. And, and encouraging people in both of those situations to spend as much time, you know, if they can't get out of the situation or choose not to, spend as much time in safe, sane, healthy places you know, meetings. Meetings are a great place to spend a lot of time. If work is good for you, then work. Volunteering, doing whatever you can to avoid spending a lot of time in a situation that you can't control. If those people are not willing to, you know, take the next step. Because addiction is a family issue. And again, family as you define it. It's not necessarily blood relatives. If those people who were supporting you, enabling you, pushing you away, getting angry at you, whatever, in your addiction are not ready to change their behaviors, then they may inadvertently pull you back down a little bit. So it's important to look at those patterns of behavior and remain vigilant for in, in terms of what do you need right now. I have one friend who is uh, just recently made a really hard decision to move out and, and change, change his residence because the environment that he was in was so toxic and his words. And uh, there was a lot of guilt and a lot of frustration and a lot of really devastating feelings about making that move but he knew he needed to do it for his own sanity and sobriety. And, you know, I, I commend him for the courage that it took to take that step. Uh, but each person is going to decide in their own time what they need to do and, and how to do it. And sometimes it means going to a meeting and asking the fellowship, if when you were in my position or if you've ever been in my position, what did you do? Let me just hear what other people have done because I don't have any ideas right now i'm just i'm fresh fresh out that's a great way to get support yeah that's uh you know and that's uh, we 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 hear that same sort of story in al-anon all the way uh, all the time as well and uh I, I think that's great like you said you just need to get a different perspective get out of your own head go hang around with some people that have been in that situation before they took some different action, and now they're on the other side of it, and then you get to decide what to do for yourself. No one's going to put a gun to your head and make you do anything, but it is just a matter of getting a different perspective. And one thing that sometimes I, I ask people in, um, when they're struggling with things, I'm like, well, if you had a sponsee come to you and ask you this very same question, what would you tell them? You know, just... Something as simple as that can help people get out of their own head, and it just seems so obvious. They'd be like, well, of course I'd tell the sponsee this, this, and this. I'm like, well, you got your answer then. That's right. That's right. <laughs> what kind of message, if you will, would you like to uh, impart to the listeners that are uh, listening in on this uh, podcast. In other words, these people are generally speaking people who are in Alcoholics Anonymous or some other 12-step program. And what kind of words of wisdom, so to speak, would you like to leave them with? Use your spidey senses. <laughs> and, and that's what I talk about, that, that feeling in your gut. If you're in a situation that the feeling in your gut's going, this isn't quite working for me, or this doesn't feel right, Use those spidey senses, and that includes choosing the right meeting. That includes, and sometimes, you know, you'll be in a meeting and there's just something that feels off to you that day. And, you know, it's important to pay attention to those things, as well as, you know, if you need help, ask for it and ask for it from your sponsor, ask for it from 
counselors or or whatever, and recognize that you know you the best. You've lived in your skin for 20, 40, 50 years. You are the expert on you. Clinicians, we've known you for 20, 40, 50 minutes. And, you know, we have tools, but you know what's going to work for you. And it's important to feel like you have the power to direct your treatment to a certain extent, to, to have a say in it. And, you know, I know that uh, kind of goes against what we were saying earlier about, you know, going to meetings and, and being willing to take direction. It's important to be able to hear things and take direction, but it's also important to be able to hear things and go, yeah, that's, that's way off base for me. Yeah, I always say, I always say uh, that, uh, you know, I can go into um, a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and I can ask 10 different people uh, who I respect a solution to a particular problem and I can get 10 different answers. And ultimately, you have to trust what's going on inside you. And you have to trust. There's a line in our books that says, we will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. And that's what I hear when you're talking about those spidey senses. You listen to that gut. Uh, Ultimately, you learn to trust yourself inside. And when we're in our active addiction, we're not listening to our gut. We are doing anything but, you know, we shut it down long before we're paying attention to our gut. So it takes a while to get back in tune with our spidey senses. And, uh, but once we do, it's great. And recognizing that, you know, we've talked about meetings and we've talked about counselors or clinicians, but those are not your only two options. You've also got spiritual leaders, you've got, you know, other trusted people. So, you know, it's a matter of figuring out where you're going to be able to access the resources that you need to support your sobriety. That's correct. Yeah. And a friend of mine, uh, Mac, always says that uh, he would get into a situation and he was going to pray, but he didn't because he knew it would work. In other words, <laughs> I get that. Uh, you have to, you know, listen to your gut. And if praying is the right thing to do, you go ahead and do that. Well, Don, Elise. Uh, by the way, I love your name, Donnellys. Uh, I'm sure you have. Have you ever met another Donnellys? That I have not. Right. I've met Dons and I've yeah. met Elises, but never <laughs> any Donnellys. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been surely a pleasure. Um, I appreciate you coming on Sober Speak. Uh, God bless you. I will um, uh, get your. I'll get. I'll get a link to your. Uh, website uh, and to your uh, various podcasts that you do out um, in the show notes of this particular episode. Okay. Fabulous. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye-bye, Don. Bye, John. So what'd you think about that with Miss Don Elise? I sure would appreciate you reaching out to me and letting me know. Any sort of constructive feedback is always welcome. I am at John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com. Now, A little bit more listener feedback on the other end of the podcast. This is the listener feedback sandwich on the other side. And that's not really working for it in terms of good music for this, is it? But I'll get it figured out. All right. Whitney writes in with additional listener feedback. Hi, John. I found your podcast through the recovery show and I absolutely love it. And just so... Uh, the listeners know out there what she's talking about. If you don't know about it, uh, my friend uh, Spencer has an, an amazing show called The Recovery Show. It is focused on Al-Anon uh, versus uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, and uh, it's a it's a really, really good show. I am a double winner, she says, after four years in Al-Anon and six years in Alcoholics Anonymous. I have not listened to the sober, to a Sober Speak episode that did not resonate with me, and I so greatly appreciate what you and your guests do. I love the conversational tone, making your podcast a little different from the traditional speaker tapes. It is a very engaging and is the perfect thing for a, quote, meeting between meetings. I also live in Northwest Arkansas. We've had a few people write in from there recently, and love the fact that y'all are not far from me over here in over there in Texas smiley face thank you again for your service it's a beautiful day to be sober 
Wit. Well, I think it's a beautiful day to be sober as well, Wit. I sure do appreciate you writing in, and uh, I hope you're having fun over there in Northwest Arkansas. Patricia writes in from Marin County. That's in Northern California, just in case those of you do not know. I, she says, hi, John, I learned about your podcast when I was searching Spotify for something that would keep my mind busy while getting through the first few weeks of recovery. I love the stories that are shared and I can't wait to hear more. I just started my four step and David G's interview in the, with the four step is amazing. I've listened to it two or three times already. I live in the in the North Bay, Marin County, and spend most of my time commuting to work in San Francisco. Your podcasts are a perfect way to pass the time. Thank you, Patricia. Thank you, Patricia, for writing in, and uh, thank you for listening to us on the way uh, to and fro your work. I really do appreciate it, and uh, good luck on that four step. Uh, just stick with it. Ricky R. writes in. Ricky R. says, Hi, John. I heard about Sober Speak from Gary K. That was the Gary K. that was recently had an episode on our podcast. Uh, it was called... Uh there is a solution. He says, I live in Jacksonville, Texas, and I have been sober since August 20th of 1990. I just turned 60 years old. Gary Kay has been my sponsor for 16 or 17 years now. I had a great sponsor that changed my life with God's help, but he stopped attending AA meetings after some surgeries. Gary moved to Palestine from Odessa, and I met him, and we've been doing this ever since. I'm still in love with AA and go to lots of conferences and lots of AA functions. I probably average five to six meetings a week, sponsor several guys, do what I can for my home group, and do what is asked of me in AA. I have a wonderful wife, four grown children, and eight grandchildren. I'm in love with them all as the result of the program. Well, that's enough about me. Thanks for doing what you're doing. I'm sure it's a blessing to many. Ricky. Well, Ricky, thank you so much. And folks, if you're listening in there and you're wondering about how do people get long-term sobriety within Alcoholics Anonymous, well, Ricky R. just described it right there. It's being active, doing all the right things, and staying with it a day at a time. Thank you so much, Ricky. Lisa writes in, and Lisa, oh gosh, I'm not going to read all of this, I don't think. So Lisa is uh, from Tuscany, Italy, and um, she wrote in and she said, hey, John, I listen to your podcast while I'm driving around Tuscany, where I live. Uh, I'm an expat here and have had to listen to your podcast in English, which is wonderful. We have English-speaking AA, but I need more than that. Uh, A meeting when I am not having a meeting, as you say. But I wanted to add, as others have told you in the past, that your laughter at moments can reveal disaster. Uh, (laughs) Sadness and crushing moments. Oh, there I go again. And crushing moments in your guest podcast almost makes your podcast hard to listen to sometimes. With Doug, I had to turn it off three times before I was able to come back and listen. It sounds like nervous laughter. I would like to suggest that you mute your mic so that you can laugh. Uh, And if you feel the need to encourage and connect with your guests, uh, have at it. But for listeners, it's extremely frustrating. I find it difficult to be critical as I love your work, but your inappropriate laughter is making me not want to listen to your show. And she kind of goes on and on a little bit about that. And I wrote her back and said, hey, Lisa, I appreciate your feedback. I know it's truly constructive. She was coming at it with a, a good heart. And I said, long story short, but the first eh, 30 plus or so episodes I recorded, there there were no mics to mute. In other words, I had one microphone that had sat in the middle of me and the other person. And if I muted me, I'd be muted in the other person. It's a long story, but you know, the learning curve for learning how to podcast is a little different. And I bet my laughter has kind of disappeared over, not all of it, but some of my laughter has disappeared over the last 20 or so shows. And uh, I said, hopefully you can tell a difference. And she wrote back and she said, you are a fabulous man, John. Well, I don't know if I'm a fabulous man, but anyway, 
She says, I do appreciate how hard you work and what the steep learning curve must be with running your own podcast. And I appreciate your humble and honest and prompt response. Suffice it to say, I will continue to listen to your podcast. Uh, Certainly for me, three months sober and living in a foreign country, anything in English and AA and recovery on a podcast is absolutely just great. So you can take a picture of me or so you can picture me driving around Italy, merrily listening to you. Take care and I will keep listening, Lisa. So I get it, Lisa. Um, I'm sure glad that you wrote in, and 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 that's what this podcast is about, right? To be able to provide a service, especially for some people who many times are not able to make it to English speaking meetings, are not able to make it to meetings at all, and I want to do everything that I can to make this as a pleasurable of an experience as possible for those out there. So I appreciate you writing in, Renee B from Manitowoc. Wisconsin writes in and she says, Hi, John, I came across your podcast through a search and so happy I did. It's everything I need to hear and learn. I'm going to be 50 in July and I can honestly say I've been an alcoholic since I was five and my first drink that my dad gave me. Dad raised me from that time on as a highly functioning alcoholic. He often let me drink and join in with him. It started with Chateau LaSalle wine and never stopped. Fast forward on that same page and that man dying in 2006 and I felt the need for uh, alcohol. As a single mother trying to raise a teen and finding him more attentive to me than him. By 2012, I was blacking out every night and went to treatment for 11 days, all my insurance would cover. I white-knuckled it for a few months and relapsed more than ever in 2014. My life was getting out of control, drinking to blackout daily, terrible DTs, affecting jobs, relationships with my son, and losing my home. I surrendered and went to a 30-day treatment and then to a nine-month sober living community 500 miles away from home. This was my saving step. Shortly after I got home, my current husband connected with me through Facebook, someone I had dated with our in our teen years and went our separate ways, only to ironically find out that we went to the same treatment center within six months of each other uh, with the same counselor, and now we're both going on five years sober, with him six months ahead of me. We were married two summers ago, and I live a life of sobriety every day. We believe in the Lord, do regular devotions at home, which include recovery readings, and try to live an honest day living. I'm so happy to be allowed to be in your Facebook group. So sorry for the long response. That was actually the short story. And I'm so glad, Renee, that you are in the Facebook group and not a problem with your story being too long. I really appreciate you writing in and taking the time to do that. Congratulations to both you and your husband, Miss Renee L. She put a big old smiley face at the end. Okay, Kim writes in. And she says, hi, John, I just started listening to your podcast. Awesome. Today is my 13-year anniversary. Yay, Kim, 13 years. Fantastic. Lucky 13. I live in New Hampshire. I'm so excited that my oldest son is about to be 26, so he has seen me sober for half of his life. My younger son has seen me sober for more than half of his life. I was shown the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous through a big book study. I have a sponsor. I have sponsees over the years. I'm so grateful. I've been listening to Sober Speak all week, and I just brought two newcomers to a new meeting, and they both got their 30-day chip. I love the way the program works. I love your podcast, Kim from New Hampshire. That's fantastic. I think the Part that really excites me more than anything about what you wrote in Kim was taking those two newcomers to a meeting and getting them their 30-day chips. That's fantastic. So uh, you all do well up there in New Hampshire. Bev W writes in, and by the way, this is the last letter 
for this week. And Bev writes in and she says, Hi, John. I just love sober speak! Exclamation point. I often imagine all the work that goes into the production. I live in Washington State, specifically Marysville, which is about 35 miles north of Seattle. I love that area of the country, Bev. I have written to you previously to let you know that Sober Speak has been a great ally to me as I have some health issues which sometimes cause me to medically isolate. My sponsor suggested that I find a podcast to listen to during my recovery from surgery last January. Sober Speak popped up, and I listened to your anniversary message, followed by David G., and I was hooked. I went back to the beginning of Sober Speak and listened to all the episodes as I fall asleep each night, and I finish in the morning as I get ready for work. Love it, in big capital letters and three exclamation points. John, I have struggled with my sobriety for about the last six and a half years. The one thing I had going for me was the desire to keep drinking, was the desire to stop drinking, and I kept coming back in all big cap letters, determined to stay for the miracle. I have been sober since August 23rd, 2018, and while I have had longer periods of sobriety before, I can honestly say that this is the most honest and serene sobriety I have ever experienced. Wow, what a gift. I absolutely love Samara. By the way, for those of you who don't know, Samara has a couple of episodes on uh, this podcast back at the beginning, but she says, I absolutely love Samara. I'm not sure what speaks to me in her story, but that's okay. You're right, Bev. It is okay. This morning, I listened to Miss Claudia. I loved, loved so much of what she shared, specifically when she shared her experience with resentments in her 13th year. It was a strong reminder that I have to keep honest and share my story even if I don't want to. I'm so grateful that you continue to serve our community in this way. Keep up the good work. As you often say, God bless. Your sober sister, Bev W. Well, Bev W., my sober sister, God bless. And uh, it's letters like that and all the others uh, that keep me keeping on. Those are the types of things that put gas in my tank. All right, folks, that's it for this week. God bless you. We'll catch up with you next week. Bye-bye now.